where have I been? You and let's see, I've been to hmm, Tunisia, Mexico, Oman, Benin, England, and Jordan, the U.S., Italy, France, Belgium, Luxembourg, and Poland, Switzerland, Morocco, Israel, Greece, Holland, Spain, Macedonia, Belarus, Palestine, and Bahrain. Hello there, and welcome to I Taught English Abroad, a podcast series by the TEFL Org. This is our second series looking at an industry with countless brilliant stories, and our job is to bring them to you. Each week, we'll speak to someone who's taught English abroad and get some valuable insight. These are the stories of people who either grew up yearning to teach, changed careers later in life, or somewhere in between. We'll talk to people who've been all over the world and broadened their horizons by teaching online, the experienced, the brand new alike. We'll deal with the challenges of teaching, moving city, exploring new nations, building a career in TEFL, and so much more. So sit back and relax, as we'll take you across the globe with some of the most interesting voices the TEFL industry has to offer. This episode, we're talking to Jason R. Levine, who you might know better as Fluency MC. Jason is a noted TEFL teacher with immense skill in engaging his students, especially through, you guessed it, rap music. On YouTube, Jason has amassed an enormous following, with over 119,000 subscribers, just on his current account. You'll explain later in the podcast. His biggest hit on the platform, a rap about irregular verbs, has over 360,000 views at the time of recording, but it's amassed over 9 million through various sources. And there's a litany of videos that aren't too far behind. Safe to say, Fluency MC has achieved real success finding an audience online with his unusual approach to teaching English as a foreign language. American-born, but now based in Paris, I talked to Jason, or Fluency MC if you prefer, about hip-hop, figuring out his niche, giving conferences and teaching around the world, and how others can find similar online success. Straight to your head when I bring brought, brought it, you catch caught, caught it, sit back, relax, don't fight, fought, fought it. Every head nodding, regular verb. Once again. Please don't freeze, froze, frozen when I speak, spoke, spoken. It's real, you can feel, I don't steal, stole, stolen. I choose, chose, chosen, the very best rhymes. And write, wrote, written them into my lines and into your mind. When we meet, met, met, I'll bet, 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 I won't let... Okay, so we're here with uh, Jason Levine, also known as uh, Fluency MC. So before we get into the teaching and before we get into the nitty gritty of, uh, of your career, I have to ask, when did you realise you could rap? And and when did you figure out it was an effective method for, for teaching English? Yeah. Well, let's see. I'm happy to be here. Thanks so much. I'm really looking forward to this this chat. Uh, yeah. Um, so I definitely didn't realize I could rap uh, so early on. What I realized as a kid is that um, I was into rhythm and drums and music and started collecting records early, started playing drums when I was nine years old, got into hip hop, got into DJing. And I had friends who rapped and friends who, you know, danced and friends who, you know, wrote graffiti, like all the elements. I was in that culture, but I was the music guy. I was not an MC. I was not a rapper at all. So for me, it was like, I know there's some people that sort of feel like, you know, you've got to do every part of the culture. But in reality, right, at least in, in my experience, it was more like, it's not that you couldn't rap if you were the DJ or you couldn't break dance if you were a rapper, but you kind of, you know. You had friends who were really good at those things and you weren't. So it's like you kind of stay, you know, keeping your in your lane. Yeah. So um, 
you know, I, as a DJ, I hung out with people who rapped and I would beatbox and, you know, uh, kind of mess around with rap. But what happened was that I was teaching in New York City, my students uh, teaching English to students from all over the world. Uh, so, you know, uh, classes with, you know, sometimes 11 languages in the same room kind of thing. And, you know, one of the few things that really connected people uh, was hip hop because hip hop exists in every country, every culture, and it's international, it's universal. You know, uh, that's not the same as, you know, heavy metal or <laughs> you know, reggae or something like that, right? Yeah. And hip hop, yeah. you know, started in New York, and here we are in New York, and their teacher is a DJ. So, like that, you know, early on, uh, I was doing stuff with hip hop, but you know, not to teach the English they needed for the TOEFL or the supermarket <laughs> or, you know, because, you know, rap English is special for the culture. Right. And that was what we were doing with it. It was more like looking at this culture um, and that was fine. But of course, the day to day needs were getting them more accurate and fluent in English so they could, you know, pass tests and job interviews and that sort of thing. So, you know, that was not going to be, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the rap we were, <laughs> I was bringing in and they were into. So, so that's when it occurred to me, Hey, you know, I should write my own songs. You know, I already, I was already writing my own materials, right. As a teacher, I was always cre creating stuff, you know, writing a story or writing this, but it kind of hit me like, wait, we remember things better with music uh, you know, I'm a DJ. I could write songs that, you know, and these were, these were, uh, you know, young adults. Um, so the other thing was using music from textbooks. It was childish, you know, or, you know, just they weren't into the music. So I was like, okay, I can control the music part because I make beats. Right. Um, I can control the, the language, uh, you know, so they can practice. And it was really, you know, um, the, the, the regular verb song I wrote, Stick, Stuck, Stuck, that was the first song that I that I wrote for students. Uh, and it's still the most popular, most popular okay. one. Uh, so some people only know me for that song. And that was the first one. But then I have over 200 more songs. Uh, but um, at least, yeah. But anyway, just quickly to, to wrap this up, um, I guess it's kind of the main the question to begin with is that, uh, you know, I did that on uh, for students on CDs. You know, this was before new media, right? So, and it wasn't about rapping in the classroom. It wasn't about like, I'm the rapping teacher. It was kind of the flipped classroom approach where they were, right, listening to the songs, reading the lyrics outside of class, coming to class and like, oh, I can remember that irregular verb or I remember that functional language for the activity. Uh, as opposed to if they'd studied it, right? So they were, it wasn't me performing. I never at first performed live. It took, you know, that video uh, that some people know me for was 2011. I wrote the song in 2007. So for 40 years, and I had a bunch of other songs, I never performed anything. I was nervous to perform. <laughs> I wasn't a rapper, back to your original question. I didn't feel like I'm a rapper. I'm a DJ and I'm kind of doing this thing. And But then with, with YouTube, when that video became popular, I kind of got more comfortable and more confident um, from the feedback I was getting, uh, not just from my students, but students around the world and teachers around the world. It's fascinating. And we will get to the regular verbs rap. I mean, I had to, I had okay. to ask some questions about that. Um, you talked to, you touched on New York there and obviously America being the mecca of, of hip hop, you know, where, where it all began. Um, and we'll get on to your favorite rappers in a little bit because I have to ask you about that. Oh, but, cool. um, 
Yeah, um, I also used to DJ. I used to run a hip hop night myself, so we've got um, we've got that in common at least. But we need to um, talk more than after this too. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I, I wondered if you'd seen rap being used for educational purposes elsewhere, and if that had an influence on you, or if, or if it was just about really combining your passions. Like, had you seen rap being used anywhere else? No, what I had seen, and um, and this is interesting. Uh, I'd seen uh, Carolyn Graham of Jazz Chan fame. <laughs> you can rhyme her name because she's actually, it looks like Carolyn Graham, but she pronounces it Graham. So if you really know who she is, Carolyn Graham, Carolyn Graham of Jazz Chan fame. And she was, she uh, was, you know, using rhythm and rhyme in these simple kind of chants that were appearing in Oxford books. And she had her own jazz chant books. Um, I never used them. I, I thought it was cool what she was doing. Uh, I wouldn't say I was inspired by them as much as, you know, when I started making the songs, people started saying, hey, it's like jazz chants, you know. I was like, oh, yeah, I remember jazz chants, you know, uh, uh, kind of thing. Um, And then I started kind of comparing what I had with what she was doing and realizing some similarities and some differences. Big difference for me was that even though you can get a group of young adults to, uh, you know, chant a song about like my favorite jeans. I put them in the dryer, you know, I turn the heat up higher. You know, you can do that, but it's kind of contrived still, right? To me, it's like, you know, it's it's not a song, you know what I mean? Like if, if you're talking about like, you know, turn up the heat, turn down, if it's, you know, I was doing similar things, writing a phrasal verb song, but it was still a little, I mean, it was jazz chants. It was like, doom, da, da, da. you know, it was kind of old fashioned. Like I had, you know, pretty slick like students from japan at the time and stuff like they 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 were not trying to do like you know jazz chants you know it was so you know it was making longer songs um you know contextualizing stuff in more story form sort of messages in there about like you know upliftment community like i started doing stuff like that so that was very different so no nobody was was doing that the only what inspired me Certain certain MCs, certain hip hop, um, especially old school stuff, where it was about like those messages, you know, um, Melly Mel, Run DMC, like you know, you can find songs that you know. Uh, but again, like the language is not the language that I needed in my syllabus, so it was like my opportunity to like make a song in that kind of, you know, some of those same messages, but I never started with the messages. I started with like, you know, from a corpus approach, you know, like, okay, my students need to know language for, uh, you know, a business meeting. So I'm going to write that song or they need, you know, countable, uncountable nouns. So I'm going to write that song. And then in order to make the rhymes work, you know, you bring the messages kind of happen naturally you, know. you, you touched on melly mel and run dmc there so i have to i mean i'm, I'm required by law to ask this <laughs> top five rappers inc- including groups you can include groups. so you know that that question when i do i do uh for anyone listening if you don't know my, the main thing i do is i do shows for kids in schools so i go around to middle schools and high schools in france now i've been to 23 countries to do my show which is called rhyme on time and part of the show uh students ask questions and one of the most common questions is, who's your favorite rapper or who are your top five? And it's a really difficult question for me to answer. I think anybody who's really into hip hop, it's a really hard thing to answer. Uh, so you know what I did, man? I can tell you my top 50. From the top of my head, I have my top okay. 50. <laughs> I, so I can't, honestly, I can't do anything except my top 50. I can even tell you my top 100. I have it in my head. 
but it's 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 a little long. So can I tell you my top fifty? It takes about twenty seconds. Yeah, of course. Is that okay? Of course. They're not in order. Uh, I can't do that. But within the top fifty, I could pull out because you know it's top five for lyrics, top five for flow, top five for you know stage presence, top five for you know message in there. You know you know how it is, right? Okay, That's so cool. here we go. Here are my top fifty MCs. All right. Rakim, Nas, Kane, G-Rap, Common, Method Man, Lupe, KRS-One, Pasta News, Redman, Bigel, Jay-Z, Slick Rick, Biggie, Ghostface, Immortal Technique, Most Def, Buster Rhymes, Eminem, Cool Keith, Royce the 5'9", MF Doom, Black Thought, LL, Raekwon, Pharaoh Monch, Talib, Jizzy, Jean Grey, Prodigy, Tretch, Chuck D, Joel Ortiz, R.A., The Rugged Man, Q-Tip Run, ELP, Lauren Hill, Ice Cube, Big Pun, Guilty Simpson, AZ Tragedy, Cannabis, Noriega, OC Fante, J Live, Rock Marciano, and Cormega. I love it. I love it. That's that's awesome. So just, when the students ask me that, it's another opportunity to say, hey, you know, was it easy or difficult for me to tell you that list? You know, easy. Why? Rhythm, rhyme, and repetition. Practice. You know. Um, I, I love that. Um, there's also there's a name that popped out there because I'm thinking about uh, there's a really good um, big pun technique uh where uh i can't remember which song is off the top of my head it might be the one of the ones with fat joe but do you mm-hmm. incorporate do you ever incorporate stuff from from rappers so for example with big pun he um he's, he rhymes judo and says judo no I, I got a gun um right and do you wow. ever like knowledge man knowledge is from scotland um yeah, no, man. <laughs> um but do you ever like incorporate stuff from mcs in terms of like puns or wordplay and that kind of thing and like put that into not consciously not consciously i mean i i I imagine someone like you with the knowledge you have there's certain songs i have where if you looked at the wordplay and looked at the rhyme scheme you might be like oh wow you know but i definitely it's definitely not conscious like i I can i can i can say it's more rhyme scheme like i can tell you myself i mean it's still very subjective but i could probably you know try to be objective look at my stuff and say okay this mc this mc this mc you know, or if you looked at it, you could probably you'd probably say and I'd agree with you. Um, not like, you know, copying per se, but, you know, um, but 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 uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's a good question. I never thought about that, but I, I don't think definitely not conscious. So let's let's talk about uh, your first big hit then. So the regular verbs rap. Um, <laughs> As you as you say that that was that was your earliest one. So did you expect it to take off the the way it did? And was it like amassing that many views on YouTube with something educational specifically? Because yeah, a lot of stuff that goes viral on YouTube is okay, it's funny or whatever, but it's not <laughs> it doesn't really have much value outside of the video. But this was something educational. It got hundreds of thousands of hits. Like, what's that feeling like? Uh, well, first of all, it's gotten um, yeah millions of hits. So I got to talk to you about that. Um, but, but the, but the things you have to remember in 2011, February, beginning of that year, the, the idea of something taking off on YouTube was still new in general, let alone for like a song sure. or an educational song or, you know, it was still, you know, this kind of thing, like, you know, you'd think only somebody like big media would have a lot of views for something. So yeah, of course it surprised me completely. I mean, I was still learning about what YouTube was, <laughs> You know, I was kind of late in the game because I, you know, at that time, it's like I, I wasn't young enough and I wasn't a tech person. So it's like, you know, I found out about Facebook kind of like, what's this thing? You know, it was the college kids I was teaching when Facebook came to, 
universities and YouTube, you know, so I, I definitely, you know, I had the oldest kind of portable phone, the oldest computer. I was not, I was late in the game. So a student was like, Hey, we got to record this for YouTube. I, I don't think it was, that's not when I heard about YouTube, you know, but it was definitely, you know, I wasn't the one like, let's make a video and an account, you know, the students saying, come on, come on. You know, this is so great. The song. Um, so yeah, it was a big surprise. You know, also I, I basically found out about Facebook as a way to reach teachers and students also through that because somebody commented on the video from Morocco, a teacher. She said, you know, you've got to join my Facebook group because there are all these teachers in Morocco talking about your video. And I'm like, what? So I'd been a teacher trainer at that point for already a number of years. So I'm like, so curious. I go on Facebook. I think Facebook is for teachers to training, you know, and, and, and connecting and networking, you know, what? So that's, so I went on Facebook and then I, you know, I made an account. There I am. They're like, Oh my God, it's him. You know? So that, then there was like teachers saying, Oh, we like this, but could you make a song about that? You know? So this was before that I was just in my classroom, you know? So this was it. Everything happened at once as far as realizing that, you know, there's this world out there we can connect to um, through with, with, with English language teaching. That's not just like going abroad to teach or something. You know, it's like my stuff can reach teachers and students uh, elsewhere. But just real quickly um, about this song, you know, I was, yeah, I was surprised at how many views it got. But then on my channel, it got nine million. Wow. Okay, right. Um, you have to understand where I'm right now, if you look, it has under 500,000. So I got my account got hacked, oh. uh, which was not important except to mention, but I lost the views. So if you actually, if you go to YouTube or you Google my song, the top hit, talk about irony, the top hit, I think it has 4 million on YouTube, um, is, is uh, a person I was trying to get it taken down at one point because it was competing with mine. But thank goodness it's still there because it does mention my name. But, but here's the thing, Ewan. If you look at all the Facebook accounts and the YouTube accounts where people have uploaded it, like if you go to Facebook, there's somebody who has my video up with 8 million, another with 7, another with 5. Right? If you look at TikTok, Instagram, like if you look everywhere, it's over 50 million. That's incredible. So those are not my views. So it's not like, hey, look at me. I got 50. If I had 50 million views on it, I'd be in a better situation <laughs> uh, than I am. But I'm still doing okay, luckily, because, you know, people do kind of connect it back to me. They still see it, even though it's not coming from my social media. Well, you wouldn't be a top MC if you didn't have biters, though, would you? <laughs> the only the only thing that's hard sometimes is somebody will have like eight million views with my video and the caption I don't care about like you know credit or you know you have to ask my permission none of that bothers me the only thing that's hard is when it be like you know crazy cool English teacher so there's no reference to me so it's like, you know so I say oh, come on no so but, but you know to be fair it's not that they're trying to to bite or trying to exploit my stuff for their gain it's more like they don't know who I am you know so it's not or you know what I mean it's just that's how it is so sometimes I you know message people hey would you mind just putting fluency MC up there and the thing you know that kind of yeah. stuff. Well, I mean, if you didn't know by now, here he is, he's Fluency MC. Uh, and in the next section, we're going to talk about uh, teaching English as a foreign language, getting qualified, and all the sort of groundwork that made him the guy he is now. So we'll, we'll come back to you in a, in a little minute, just after this advert break. Feeling inspired? Fancy trying something completely new? 
will make your best move yet by signing up for a TEFL course with the most highly accredited provider on the planet. Here at the TEFL Org, we offer a range of online and classroom courses that you can study at your own pace. All of our courses include top-of-the-range teaching materials and come with dedicated tutor support from experienced and highly qualified TEFL experts. And what's more, we'll give you money off to do it. Just enter the code PODCAST at checkout to get 50% off any of our internationally recognised TEFL courses. And that includes our best-selling 120-hour Premier Online course. With that code, you'll not only get 50% off, but you'll also get a free lesson plans pack. Within a matter of months, you could be a qualified TEFL teacher, out there exploring the world, or working to your own schedule from home as an online English teacher. Just use the code PODCAST at checkout to get started. So Jason, let's take it right back to the foundation. Um, when did you realize you wanted to teach English as a foreign language? Like, was it an ambition of yours from growing up or, or where did, how did that come about? It wasn't an ambition growing up. I would say growing up, there were moments where I felt like, you know, a teacher. Like, I felt like I might be a teacher of some sort. Uh, both my parents are university professors, uncles, aunts. Like, it's definitely in my family, in my blood. In in college, uh, bachelor's program in, in the States, I majored in psychology. And pretty soon I was looking at like learn, learning theories, education, started taking some education classes. I was really interested in adolescent uh, development, identity development, not so much cognitive and, and educational. But then, you know, if you're looking at adolescence, identities, a lot of that's connected to education you know, what happens in school and stuff like that. So I was kind of in that area. Uh, I was also, in, I was taking a linguistics course. Like I would say, what I would say is from a young age, being really into language um, and not, you know, not, and not learning another language, even though I did learn French, I wasn't one of these people like fascinated by learning another language as much as fascinated with my own. So I was always playing around with words and that's, you know, writing, I didn't write songs, but I definitely like, I loved rhymes, you know, riddles limericks things like that you know and i love music and i love rap i mean i got into rap in 1982 when i was 12 years old like and then I never looked back kind of thing so i was definitely into wordplay and rap and language definitely language and then the linguistics class was part of it but then when i graduated i went i worked in the music business i was either, i was i was thinking should i go to graduate school in psychology like a doctoral program in, in developmental psychology that was one idea and the other idea was the music business so i was djing and like a lot of people thinking like oh because i'm so into music um and this mainly and mainly hip-hop music um and i know a lot about it um maybe i'd like to work in it you know, and then I started working. It was totally disillusioned by the greed and the corruption, <laughs> just, you know, all kinds of stuff. People and mainly people that, you know, didn't give it, uh, you know, what about music? They were just trying to make money and being dishonest and they wanted me to be dishonest. And I was just like, hey, this is turning me off to music, you know. So it's a pretty common story, um, actually. So, you know, so I got out of it um, and kept DJing. Um, and so I was DJing and I was working, you know, working at, and this is in New York city. I was working at a, at a restaurant, you know, 
uh, trying to figure out what I was going to do. I was like, okay, I'm going to go back to school. So uh, I worked really hard to get into a PhD program. I got into the program of my choice in Philadelphia, Temple University. I go there and I didn't last six weeks. <laughs> like it was, right. <laughs> I was in a, like a five to six year program. And after like six weeks, I took a leave of absence. It was just the opposite of the music. Like it felt like, you know, it was so academic. It was so like, I couldn't, I, I, I felt like in prison. You know, and and it was the problem I had with like the business people I had with like the ivory tower and the academics, which I hadn't really thought about enough because, you know, my I grew up in it. So I kind of thought I'm going to I'm going to roll with it. And I realized I changed as a person. I can't I, I need to be out with with real people. <laughs> Uh, out in the the real world kind of thing, not studying them. So uh, long story short, I'm having this sort of crisis where I don't know what I'm going to do. And my cousin who was teaching an ESL class in Brooklyn um, above a storefront, like mainly illegal immigrants from Central and South America, uh, got into, I don't know, she got into a social work program. She got, she did something where she, a really good opportunity and she had to leave. Uh, she couldn't teach it and, but she really loved the students. She loved all about it. So she said, Hey, would you want to do it? And I was so excited because I'd never thought about it, but all of a sudden I'm like, Oh my God, kind of like teaching linguistics, English, you know, I, I wasn't somebody who was like, you know, um, because I like these things, I'm going to look into teaching abroad or because I'm into these things, I'm going to think about, you know, even being a teacher. So it's kind of like, I, I mentioned before, like I had moments where I felt like I could be a teacher. Kind of that moment was like, yes, I want to try this. And I loved it. Yeah. From the second I got in there uh, with them, uh, I loved it. And um, I could tell you more about that experience or subsequent experiences. But then after that, got, you know, doing different jobs in New York, different schools, different roles in, in ELT after that. Well, I mean, I was, I was actually going to ask, because we always ask uh, our guests about the first lesson that they taught. So was there a sort of crystallized moment with his, was there a sort of crystallized moment with a student where you just thought like, oh, hey, I can do this? Or was it a sort of a general kind of just the whole experience just made you feel really energized or, or how, did, how did that how did that work for you? Yeah, definitely that. I'm not sure there was a specific moment. There were a lot of moments. It was just, a, it was, you know, the combination of like what I was getting getting into like uh, in terms of linguistics on one hand and like helping these people who were, you know, uh, having a tough time in New York, trying to make ends meet, you know, to like the idea of like, okay, here's this um, textbook that was terrible. The school was run by a couple of people from, from Ecuador who were, you know, making a great effort, but they were business people, not curriculum developers, yeah, you know? Yeah. So like they kind of made their own materials and they were, they were pretty bad. So it was also like, hey, I can make some materials. So then I'm creating, you know, I'm always, I'm always creating stuff. You know, um, so, you know, what I was doing in the music business or what I was doing with the psychology, I was always like trying to, you know, always creating materials and ideas. You know, that was that was nothing new, but it was like, OK, I can do this right now for these people, you know, not not for somebody, you know, reading a journal article about psychology. Or, you know, it was this is the problem I have with that and not, you know, not writing up like I was doing. A, I was working nervous records when Black Moon was actually leaving nervous, but Mad Lion had just come on and, you know, Nervous was a dance label. You probably know about Nervous Records. It sounds like you, you got a lot of knowledge, but like, you know, that I was. I, I, I know a little bit, not, not enough to. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. I mean, their house, their, you know, New York house label is the main thing, but, but they had a hip hop, a small hip hop 
division. They were making like records with like DJ, for DJ breaks and stuff like anyway. So there was, there was some stuff like that, but I was doing, I was working, doing pub, publicity. So, you know, writing up a press release about a black moon compilation or whatever. And, you know, using my, my, my skills as a writer with language, but it was like, I don't want to, this is not what I want to do. So anyway, I, I'm with these students in this, in this ESL class. And it's like, yeah, all the things, all the elements kind of came together for me. Cool. So uh, you're based in Paris. That's now. right. Um, I just wanted to know how, how how long have you been there? Because we've we've covered kind of the beginnings of your career. Um, so how how long have you been have you been in France? And 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 where else? You know, have you travelled around the world to either talking about materials and and methods, or actually teaching English as a foreign language? Like, where is it? Where's it taken you? Because it sounds like it's been a, a kind of pretty wild adventure. Uh, yeah, in some ways it has. Uh, let's see. We moved here, my wife and our two kids, from uh, New Jersey, right outside uh, the city. I was working in New York, living in New Jersey. Um, we moved here in 2013. So it's been nine years we've been here. Um, and the second question is, you know, when you ask me about my favorite rapper, well, another or top five, another question students ask me when I do shows, do rhyme on time is which countries have you been to? So do you think it's easy on the spot for me to list the countries that I've been to? Hmm. I think you might have. Well, it wasn't. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, it's like that was commercials. I don't know if it's the same in, in, in the UK and Scotland, but in, in, um, in the States, there's like the hair club for men where they got like the guys, like, I'm not just the, you know, I'm not just the owner or the inventor. I, you know, I'm a client and he's showing how he's, you know, growing hair. It's like, I, I use my own method, you know, <laughs> the, the method I'm teaching you guys to remember language right so uh where have i been you and let's see i've been to hmm, tunisia mexico oman benin england and jordan the u.s italy france belgium luxembourg and poland switzerland morocco israel greece holland spain macedonia belarus palestine and bahrain i was recently in holland i've been in holland i've been in the netherlands i had to put holland because netherlands didn't really work for the rhyme there, uh, no, but uh, I'd been there before. But I just did a, uh, like last summer. I did a, a show there for the first time, so I had to work Holland into. And I'm going to Turkey okay. uh, in a few beginning of March. Yeah, so I have to. I'm gonna. have to put Turkey in there and maybe uh, make another verse. But yeah, 23 countries I think it is where I've done done the show, not where I visited. I mean, 23 yeah. countries I've worked in either as a teacher or a teacher trainer. Okay, so we're just going to take another quick break and we'll be right back with Fluency MC. Are you looking for a weekly guide to what's going on in the TEFL world? Do you want some advice on everything from job interviews to underrated TEFL destinations? Well, the TEFL Org blog has it all. Every single week, we tackle some of the biggest questions in the TEFL industry. Stay up to date with the latest trends in English teaching. Find tips to make your next job application your best yet. Or get inspired and read about the experiences of TEFL Org graduates teaching all around the world. Whether you're brand new to the industry, or you've seen it all, we can guarantee an interesting read each week. To find out more, go to tefl.org forward slash blog. That's T-E-F-L dot O-R-G forward slash blog. So uh, one of the key things we talk about in this podcast series is making a name for yourself as a teacher. And, and you've very, very clearly done that. Um, but I want to know about the groundwork. So let's go back to when your students 
are saying, oh, we need to film this tune. We need to put this on YouTube. Um, and then it became about maintaining an audience. So mm-hmm. so how how much work did it take to sort of figure out what your strategy was going to be when the Regular Verbs uh, track like really took off? Was there a sort of conscious thing where you went like, okay, this is, I'm going to funnel like a lot of energy into this now. How did, how did, it, how did it work? You know, it was, a, it was a really easy, it was an easier time uh, for this. I mean, it was because it was sort of the, it was the beginning of this. So when I got into it, it wasn't the beginning of YouTube or Facebook, but if 2011, you can safely say it was pretty early as far as you're know, using social media as a teacher, performer, entertainer, you know, that I, that I was pretty early with that. So like people that I'm still friends with and colleagues with that came before me, like, like, like Jennifer Lebedev or, you know, Jennifer ESL, like, she, you know, she was doing stuff on YouTube that I then w- was looking at. So once, once I started getting my thing going, I was, you know, looking at teachers on YouTube and looking at what else was happening. Uh, not, not seeing people doing what I did, but, you know, seeing how they were, reaching people and you know it was it was it was organic you couldn't pay for advertising you weren't making money off it but you were getting organically people liked your stuff it was appearing in their feet you know that was it <laughs> so because because people liked my stuff it was this was the heady days of of you know of youtube and facebook it's like it was purely like did people like me and people liked it generally so you know the it, it spread quickly there wasn't any strategy. It was more just like rolling with it. It was like, you know, I could, I couldn't answer comments fast enough sometimes, you know, it was like that, that was the kind of thing that I was worried about. And you've got that same problem with like an influencer today, but that influencer is also like, you know, married to the analytics and, you know, the business model, the, the second they stop and creating content every, you know, nine hours, you know, or whatever, like the second that stops, it's not about like still being able to wonder about the comments, you know, you're done. <laughs> so then it was just, you know, the biggest problem I had was that, you know, maybe I wasn't answering everybody enough or something like that. And I wasn't thinking about it in terms of income because what it brought me that continuing that story about Morocco, uh, the first country I went to was Morocco. Uh, to go to a school to do a show because those teachers said, Hey, you know, you should come here, but you know, we don't have any money to bring you. Oh, maybe we'll contact the embassy. They contacted the embassy in Rabat and the RELO, regional English language officer at the embassy, you know, they bring English specialists over to do, this is how new things were. It was like, you know, you would bring someone over who'd written a book or, you know, somebody who, you know, has a doctorate in linguistics, whatever. It's like, you know, they, they become English specialists and, and do workshops with the, with the Department of State, you know. This, this Relo, I was really lucky, was kind of, you know, kind of a, a forward thinking, really progressive. She was like, you know, okay, she contacted me. She's like, you know, uh, technically we can't really bring you because you haven't been vetted as a specialist. And, you know, I had a master's degree and like, you know, this is all, but you know, these teachers want you this new thing, Facebook, YouTube, they want more training. So, you know, screw it. I'm going to figure out a way to bring you (laughs) to do two weeks in Morocco. And she did. And, you know, um, I so did it through funding from taxpayers in the U S. Uh, but then I, I did become vetted as a specialist and I still am. So I, I got the, became an English specialist. And then I did more. So the main reason I've been to 24 countries is because I did, I once went to six countries in six weeks with them, you know, uh, in the Middle East. 
in the Middle East. So, you know, that was a, a time where, so I didn't, back to what I was saying, I didn't think about using social media to make money. I didn't worry about that because it was purely a way to get my stuff out there so that I could get work as a teacher uh, with, with the Department of State and sort of, you know, help my exposure. So it was really nice because I was making videos and doing all this stuff just because I wanted to create it, help people, and it helped me get work. Uh, that's not the case anymore <laughs> as much. Unfortunately, you know, uh, but I'm, I'm really glad I had that that time. And it does make me less uh, focused on like getting new material out there. And I don't have so many new videos on YouTube because, you know, if I put a video out there, it'll have 902 views after, you know, uh, three weeks when in the past I'd have 900 views in like, you know, the first yeah. hour. Yeah. The algorithm is, they've messed up forever, I think. But there's something really pure about that, though, because the way you talk about it, it's not like, it's it's not like you kind of, it was all about the teaching, and it was all about opportunities to speak to people and, and, and teaching, as opposed to this kind of really image-focused, kind of more sort of, you, you use the word influencer, but I don't, I don't see that in you. I see that you're a person who used youtube as a mode to connect with people in real life and to actually teach people in real life and i think that's something that people that will have connected with you for because there's a genuineness there's an earnestness to that um and so as we talk about influences we talk about newer media um you have a strong online presence in general how, how, how useful are things like instagram and tiktok um the sort of new the newer video kind of platforms like how, how do they compare to what you've used in the past? And, and do you think they're a good tool for teachers in, in general, or is it too broad to say? I, I absolutely think they are. Uh, if you use them, if you, st the, the story that I hear the, and, uh, in, in a way that it helps students more, this is the really good thing is the same story that I hear from people who have like, you know, half a million followers on Instagram and TikTok. Now there are some influencers that, that go a different route, but the people that I'm close to that are, you know, usually much younger than me and have a big presence on the newer media, not so much, YouTube, sometimes YouTube too, but definitely not Facebook, right? It's more, it's Instagram, TikTok. Often their story, maybe you've heard it before, is they, they started on Instagram, TikTok, uh, less so, but Instagram uh, as a way to, to share stuff with their students the way that I did you know, YouTube and Facebook, they, they, they didn't get on Instagram as a teacher to be this, you know, online person making money. And then, so what they were doing, they just were really talented. There were other people who weren't as much, right. And they didn't do as well. And I'm not friends with them. Right. But like the people that I know, they started with like, you know, their, their students following them. They never had an ambition to do anything bigger. And then Gradually, people liked it, learned from it, blah, 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 blah. And I would think the, the, the biggest difference is some of them kind of got trapped because they got so popular, they had to keep putting stuff on. Uh, you know, I mean, I know people that I, I feel like, you know, they, part of them wishes <laughs> that they weren't in the situation they are because there's a lot more pressure to produce content and get it out there. Uh, at the same time, those people are doing a, a valuable service because there are just like... Uh, in the old days or anytime, if you're really popular and you've got really good stuff, you know, there are people that are popular that are not so good. But in general, people that are really popular on uh, in, in TikTok and Instagram for language teaching, it's because it's useful what they're doing. Um, it's, it's good. So that, that that's a good thing. That's a good thing. For me, um, what's good about it as a teacher um, is, you know, I just did shows uh, in Brittany. Um, Northwest uh, France yesterday 
for students. And when I do a show, I do about one show a week, uh, start between now and June. Uh, I used to do two or three a week and I, I basically stay in France. But anyway, um, I'm bringing this up because what happens at the end of the show is I tell them how they can connect with me. So it used to be, you know, if you like the songs, the show, you can keep practicing with me through CMC uh, on YouTube. But it's also now Instagram um, and and TikTok. So for what happens after the show is that I'll tell them message me on TikTok in English. So I'll have students, you know saying, hi, thank you for coming to my school, you know, so, I, so I'll chat with them there. And that's not happening on, on YouTube and, and Facebook for me. It, it would if I'd put in lots of work there and uh, paid for advertising. You know, it's, it's just not happening in real time the same way it can happen. So that's great. So it kind of, it, it serves the same purpose as what I started talking about. Like that helps me go back to that school. You know, if I chat with those students, um, you know, the teachers see their students are practicing English with me. They'll maybe tell another school uh, about me, so I'll get another school, or I'll go back to that school next year. And at the same time, I'm helping those kids. You know, they'll write like, "Oh, I, you know, I never liked English before you came to my school." Or, you know, so I have that same the feeling that I had from you know YouTube when people would watch my videos and say, "Wow, I'm learning so much from you." Uh, it's not so much that for me as you know, I'm learning so much from your content. I'm using it's more to keep the to keep the shows going for now. If you don't mind me saying, you don't strike me as a shy type necessarily, but there'll be TEFL teachers, uh, ESL teachers and the like, and, and they want to primarily work online and they want to, to get noticed as you were. What would be your advice to someone newer to the field who's, who's, who's they're, they're making attempts, they're making content, but they're just struggling to get their name out there? Uh, the first thing I would say, it's not really about the shy or not shy thing, but something I learned uh, the hard way. And I'm so glad when I finally figured it out. It's a very basic thing. Uh, it's something I feel very strongly about, which is that, you know, I was trying to do, I was trying to make money online and off. I don't think that's possible really. I mean, I think it's possible, but it's rare. I mean, if you're independent and I kind of feel like I should have realized that. So, you know, the people I know that do really well online, like, I don't, I don't mean just their reputation because people look at me and might think like, oh, Jason's, you know, killing it online. Maybe in terms of people knowing who I am, but I'm not making money online. I mean, pennies, pennies. Right, okay. So that's because, you know, and, and when I tried like with the weekly English workout, if I had quit everything I was doing, if I stopped, because I was still teaching in universities, I was still traveling and doing shows. I was doing all this stuff in real, real life or in person or whatever you want to call it. So I was trying to sort of do both. So people I know that have been really successful online with good content, you know, good people, that's what they do. You know, they are online people. And I definitely never wanted to, don't want and never will want to just do online. And when I realized that, <laughs> I realized, okay, if I'm going to do both. You know, my money is going to have to be offline because digital marketing you know, making money online, it's a full-time thing, in my opinion. Uh, it's very rare. If, if you're doing both, maybe you've got a team. You're working, you know, you're doing something beyond just yourself. But if you're trying to be like an online person, you know, really being successful, again, not just your presence, but actually income, you know, building a business, building something like that. So you, I think it's pretty hard to do that and uh, teach or do anything else 
That's just, that's just my experience. So I think that's important. I mean, I think it's possible, uh, but I think it's rare. So I think that's an important thing to decide. For me, it was kind of freeing because it was like, okay, I'm going to keep using YouTube and Facebook and my website, but I don't have to keep stressing about how I'm going to, you know, make enough money from those things to quit what I'm doing over here, you know, or, or have this dream that I think is, you know, impossible of, of doing both, having both like kind of churning along. You know, um, I mean, I can still sort of imagine and people say all the time, well, you're doing these shows in schools, you know, students love you. You should have they should be, you know, subscribing to your online, you know, programs or whatever. It seems like it'd be pretty easy to do. Uh, I don't think it is because I think it really requires a lot of work, the online part of it. I mean, if you can stop your life, if somebody gives you a grant of, you know, 20 grand thing, you know, I mean, there are things, you know, there are ways it could happen. Uh, but I, I think for the average teacher, a passionate teacher who's out there still teaching, it's tough. So, so my advice would be uh, what uh, I've seen other teachers doing, again, younger and more successful than me, which is, you know, start Instagram for your students. Just like when I put my YouTube out, you know. If you're a teacher out there, unless you're one of those people who's like, I want to commit to being an online person. I love online. I just want to be online. That's a different story. And I'm not the best person to talk to about that. But if you're using Instagram, for example, to help your group of students and it grows naturally, then that would be something to think about. Um, but if, it's, if you don't do it that way, then it's about committing to digital marketing and a lot of work. And pretty hard to do that while you have a day job as a teacher. Now, another thing that you do, um, I, saw, I suppose it's in conjunction with the hip hop as well as kind of being a bit separate to it. Um, I read on your website that you, you teach non-native English speaker teachers. Um, now, that's there's a real debate around uh, nativism. Um, mm-hmm. Within the te- within the TEFL industry, and as someone who's teaching uh, non-native speaking teachers directly, I want to get your take on this. What would you say the employability landscape is like for non-native speakers? Because I feel like it can be a bit of a hostile territory at times, um, completely undeservedly. So, what, what, mm. what's your what's your take on on that landscape? Well, I absolutely agree um, that it can be that way, and it shouldn't. Um, uh, I'm, I'm definitely passionate about that, partly because. Um, you know, of, of the, the issue of, you know, the stigma, like you have to learn from a native teacher, which means you, people who don't have necessarily the best skills as a teacher, the passion will get a job before someone else who's, you know, would be a better teacher. Um, what I think about it is the obvious, I think that anybody sitting here would say to you is what I kind of just said that, you know, uh, how good someone is as a teacher is more important, but also people who have gone through the experience of learning the language, like the way that I teach English that I, I, I feel like people like and why I've been successful is I'm obsessed with how it all works and excited sure. about how it all works. In a way, it's kind of like I'm not as excited about French like that, you know, if I were, I mean, I mean I'd be a great French teacher, even though I'm not a French speaker, right? So I've, you know, non-native teachers who have that kind of insight into English, and a lot of them do more often than native speakers because they've learning about it. 
where a native speaker might be a great speaker, but they don't they can't tell you what about uncountable nouns because they never heard of them before until they took a TEFL course. Right. So, you know, um, that's that's uh, to me, that's a big thing. It's like, you know, how many non-native teachers out there would be better <laughs> at teaching the language? And, but I also understand if, 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 if I'm going to learn Hungarian, the first thing I would probably think of is learning from someone Hungarian. You know, and not, you know, and, and does that make me like this nativist, like, you know, racist person? No, but I think I'd have to stop and check that, check that belief. Right. So I understand the knee jerk reaction and why people think like, oh, why is it bad to want to learn from a native person, speaker of the language? Right. I think but but I think, you know, you've got to think about how much teaching, not just language teaching is ineffective, <laughs> you know, and why. And a big one in this case would be because you're assuming that someone who's a native would be a better teacher and you're going to learn more, you know, from that person. Um so this is a topic I can talk about for days, man. So I'm going to stop now. If you have a follow-up question, let's keep going because maybe I didn't answer your question directly. Well, no, no, no. I mean, you did a, a great job answering that question, okay. but uh, <laughs> what I would ask, <laughs> it all works. Uh, but no, uh, what I would ask, uh, obviously, you know, you, you've, you've taught students who are native English speakers and non-native English speakers alike. You know, you've taught mm. you've taught teachers or prospective teachers from both sides of the coin. Yes. Um, but you, you you tapped on a really interesting point there because either way you're essentially deconstructing English, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, so what what are the kind of challenges? What are the differences? The sort of key things because mm. again, ultimately you're you're driving at the same thing whether you've spoken English before or not. I love this question, and because uh, another one where I learned the hard way because the the problem with being really passionate about a language and and wanting to get into it and look at it under a microscope is that that's not necessarily, well, that's probably actually going to impede the acquisition process for learners, right? So, you know, teaching kids, the only reason we don't have to worry about that is because, you know, kids don't have that analytical thinking, so we're not presenting it that way. But then when we get to adults who do, and they want to know, like, well, is, you know, uh, what is this a preposition or a particle and, you know, a transitive verb or intransitive? And like, and if you're passionate about the language and you want to get under the hood of, the, you know, look at the engine with them, that could be interesting. But then they come back and they, I still can't speak English, right? That, and that's because, you know, you're, you're kind of studying it, getting excited about it with them. So I have to be really careful with that. And this is, again, why a non-native speaker can often be better. Because they've had the experience of learning the language. They're passionate about it, but they know just, you know, trying to understand how it all works and studying it is not going to mean, right, you've got to acquire it naturally. You've got to get a lot of exposure to, you know, comprehensible input and all of that stuff has to happen, right? And, and of course, you can have a great teacher trainer and, and this can happen, you know, but even I had really good uh you know, I did a master's at City University in New York. I did the CELTA. Like, I, you know, I, I had really great people teach me, but I was still, it, it still took a while before I realized, wait a second, this time I'm using in, in the classroom, you know, uh, how much of this is really not just teacher talk. That's the simple thing. Cause I wasn't, it was more like, are this, what are the students doing? Are they still learning about the language or are they really practicing and using it? enough. And, and what I came up with was not that, uh, obviously practicing it more in the classroom was not what we do because that's back to rote learning and, and, and 
you know, audio lingual and there's no time in the classroom for that, that can be done at home, you know. So, so my whole thing now, and I think for every teacher should be, uh, because English is there's so much out there, uh, you know, it's not like teaching Dutch or something. Like it's all over the internet. It's, you know, music, books, stories, right? It's about getting students, you know, naturally motivated, hooked. I use that word all the time, hooked on just, you know, this YouTuber or this video game in English or this tutorial, right? So that they are using intrinsic motivation to, you know, it's not like I have to study English. It's like, I want to learn about this. I want to do this. It's in English. I do it. I don't understand all of it. So I have to repeat it. So I've listened to it now three times or six times. That's enough times I'm remembering the vocabulary. You know, all of this happens with music. So I don't do this as much. I'm I'm more on the music side. But whatever it is, that that's happening outside of the classroom. So the classroom is about communicative exercises. And, 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 you know, when people say like, are you the rapping teacher in the classroom? It's always funny to me because what I do in the classroom is similar to what everybody does. You know, I'm trying to get students in, in groups to do communication, <laughs> you know, whether it's a project or it's, you know, a game or whatever it is, right? It's, it's not about repetition. Uh, it's not about studying. And it's not about my explanations, right? So, you know, what, what is missing is if they don't get enough exposure to that target language for that activity, then they're going to be translating, looking in the book. It's going to be boring. They're not going to like it. So that's the flip model. So that's the outside of class, you know, what are they doing? And obviously the ideal thing is they're doing something fun that they just like to do. Not that, you know, I have to do this in order to succeed in the communicative activity tomorrow. That's not going to work. And if you think, well, I keep telling my students, you know, do this in English. There's so much English. Yeah, it's like saying, I keep telling you, go to the gym and work out. <laughs> that that doesn't work, right? It, it's, it's so you've got to be it's, it's indirect. You know how how does it happen? And usually it's and that's what my teacher training now is basically all about. It's not about you know because I meet teachers all the time with great lessons and great approaches. That's not the problem. It's that they have three hours a week with students or four hours a week. Students aren't getting English outside of class. So how are they, right? So it's, it's about how can students get hooked on songs, on games, outside of class so that they're getting enough exposure to the language. So when they come, this great activity you have, even a boring one in the book, they still like it because they've got more English and they're able to do it. So no pun intended, but I know we need to wrap this up because uh, your time's <laughs> very valuable. I understand that. Um, so... Every week with each, with each guest, we ask them about a piece of advice they wish they'd been given and a piece of advice that they would give. So I'll start you off with the first one. Um, what advice do you wish you'd received before launching into, into your teaching career and providing learning materials? What's the, what's the one thing you wish someone had said to you before you kind of got into what you're doing now? Before I got into it? Mm, sure. Yeah. Um, I guess I would say, you know... Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like I've learned a lot of those. I guess, I guess a lot of things I've learned just, it would have been nicer to know them earlier. So maybe the best one would be, you know, uh, don't be afraid to get your stuff out there, even if it's unfinished, you know, to get feedback. Like, you know, don't feel like it has to be perfect, um, to get it out there. Um, and that's especially more true now with, with new media. Um, at the time, there wasn't that. But I feel like I had stuff I created that I didn't really show people because I didn't feel sure about it. But looking back, uh, feedback on it would have helped me develop it and make it better sooner. 
Sure. Um, and to someone who wants to be a TEFL teacher, an SL teacher, ESL teacher, whatever way you want to put it, but they're having some anxieties, I suppose you could call them shook ones, if you like, um, <laughs> about whether it's for them. Um, <laughs> I'm so sorry I had to. No, man. <laughs> I love it. Let's get a Mob Deep reference in there at some point. You kept saying New York. I had to. Yeah. RIP Prodigy. Uh, what advice would you give if someone's nervous about the industry? To be to be completely honest, I would say um, this is like a whole other a whole other thing, man. But you know, with what's happening with communication with artificial intelligence, it's, it's going to have to come up. It's going to come up from now on all the time. You know, um, there's there's going to be a lot more opportunity for people to communicate without necessarily themselves studying or writing something so the future you know it's it's going to be this might scare people even more but it doesn't have to that you know the future is not going to be i feel so much about like you know teaching students how to write or even teaching students how to speak another language to be honest so i think you know if if you're into this for just that it's not going to work if you're into it to kind of you know how to help people, uh, you know, make progress in their lives, how to, uh, how to help people with, you know, critical thinking skills and things like that, then you're going to be fine. And, you know, so, so my advice would be, you know, keep your mind totally open to that. Um, because, you know, uh, you know, if, if you, if you can't teach better than a robot, then you probably won't be teaching that kind of thing. (laughs) So, you know, be, (laughs) well, it's coming, man. I think you know it's coming. So, you know, um, be be ready to, you know, think of ways that you can exist as a human, uh, as a teacher that's not just, you know, the person with the answer key for the exercise because uh, that's going to that's gonna disappear pretty quickly. I hear you, man. I hear you. So, finally, uh, we're going to have to get you back on at some stage. You're going to have to. I just insist cool. on it. Cool. I'm, hey, I'm ready. Anytime. <laughs> Um, but uh, where can people find you? Um, and is there anything that you want to talk about that we missed out? Something you want to tell the people? No, I don't think so. Um, you know, you can find me just Googling my name in YouTube or on Google. Um, then, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on in various places. Uh, if you want to connect with me, like um, I'm happy to, to take an email. My email is fluencymc at gmail. Um, if, but, you know, I answer messages, especially on Instagram. I tend to do most of my chatting with people on Instagram. So that's fluency MC Instagram. Um, yeah. So, you know, if, if you want to practice with the songs, then definitely YouTube. Uh, if you want to see clips of me at schools, Instagram, you can see like where I go and what I've done. There are also videos of me doing stuff live there. Excellent. Well, Jason fluency MC, it's been absolutely brilliant chatting to you, man. Thank you. Thank you. And next time I got, maybe I can do some, some rhyming. That's what we didn't do enough of. I did a little bit. I did a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It was 100% more than we normally get. So (laughs) (laughs) not to worry that. Well, you and it was a pleasure, really. So much fun. And um, I'd love to come back. So uh, let's keep in touch, man. For sure. We need to. You've been listening to I Taught English Abroad, a podcast series by the TEFL Org. To keep up to date with every episode, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your streaming platform of choice. And we love feedback, so feel free to leave us a review on any platform you like. For more information about the TEFL org, or about teaching English as a foreign language in general, head on over to tefl.org. That's T-E-F-L dot O-R-G. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>